Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Costa Mesa, California. Hi, I'm Stephen G. Fullwood. I am the exhibition coordinator for Marking Time, Art in the Age of Mass Incarceration, which is now on view at the Schoenberg Center from May 1st through December 4th, 2023. Hi, I'm Seth Rodney. I am an independent arts writer, critic, really, and curator, and I'm speaking to you from my home in Newburgh, New York, in the Hudson Valley. This is to remind our listeners that we like to practice a form of what we call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. Um, and we have uh, another guest today, uh, Deborah Cullen Morales, um, who's going to be joining us to discuss her work uh, and her scholarly interests and intellectual interests. So we're looking forward to the conversation. Uh, Seth, do you want to you know kind of lead us into introducing Deborah, and and then Deborah can we can chat. Right. So I think I first met Deborah, um, I want to say it was like six or seven years ago when she was leading the Wallet Gallery at the campus of Columbia University. Um, I think I got an invitation to come see a show and I did. And subsequently we had occasion to, to chat. And then we ran into each other at various art scene things. And I think we were seated together at an awards dinner at one night. Is it was it for the Vilcek Prize? The Vilcek Foundation. That's right, Seth. I forgot yes, about that. That's right. And you were there with your husband, and um, we ended up chatting quite a lot. And I got to know about his work, but I also got to know about your work. And then um, in the interim, in in between then and now, you moved on to become the director of the Bronx Museum of the Arts, and then left that position, and now. Uh, you are a program officer at the Mellon Foundation. And I think um, all that space in between, um, we're going to ask you to sort of f help f fill in the blanks. So welcome, Deborah. Thank you. It's great to be here. So who wants to ask a question? Because I'm, I'm, I'm itching to. <laughs> that's that's, that's tag. So Deborah, is there anything that you want to, like, anything that you want to mention that we missed? Or that, like, you know, kind of what do you, you know, uh, what are you working on now that excites you or what's kind of going mm. on now in the art world uh, that, uh, that you, that you think is a pretty exciting project or interesting? Well, I, I, I wanted, I was thinking we could perhaps talk about sort of a thread that runs through my career. That is both um, an intellectual interest of mine and has been a focus of my scholarship and curatorial work. And I'm now able to enact through the side of philanthropy which um, one of the things I'm able to work on through the side of philanthropy that I'm in now, which mm -hmm. is um, working with working on um, promoting, supporting, and just basically even identifying mm -hmm. um, Latinx artists for the broader American population. Beautiful. So one of the th yeah, that sounds great. But one of the things that um, I had noticed in the information that you sent round. Deborah, was that um, according to um, some source, I forget what source this is, but um, Latina artists received less than 2% of philanthropic funding in the U.S. How is that possible? Yeah, that's a report from Hispanics and Philanthropy, which everyone uh -huh. can access online if they'd like to. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's shocking. And even worse than that is that of that you know, very modest number of uh, philanthropy supporting 
Hispanics or Latinx in the United States, mm -hmm. much less than that goes to arts and cultural um, purposes. The, mm. the, the majority of the funding goes towards, you know, social services. So follow-up question, kind of the obvious one. Why do you think that is? I mean, I have my own theories, mm -hmm. but clearly um, y you have a bit more expertise in this area than I do. Well, I mean, frankly, the, the, the Hispanic or Latinx, I would, whatever terminology one wants to use, I'm perfectly comfortable with. So I'm, I, you know, I don't mind what, what terminology we use, but I think, um, I think it's a very broad term. You know, it's a catch-all term, like like all of our you know sort of uh, demographic terms are, and I think it's a, it, it covers a population that's very diverse from coast to coast, from north to south, and I think it's confusing for people as to what that encompasses, and I think um, I think the um, the philanthropic impulse for arts, especially for arts and culture, which is what I am concerned with, um, lags behind um, just in terms of development. But that doesn't surprise me um, when we think about when the populations came to the United States in force. And, you know, well, of course, Chicano, Mexican-American were here from before. So that's, you know, that's one population. But then we think about, for example, Cuban, Puerto Rican, Dominican, etc. That's a much more recent sort of um, in terms of in the greater in the greater scheme of things. So. Yeah, Seth and, when Seth and I were talking last week about when we kind of missed each other, and you know, one of the things I, when I was looking over the links you shared and, and whatnot, one of the things it called to mind is how um, it, the dramatic, how disproportionate the impact of the culture is on its representation in mm. in, in high culture, quote unquote high culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can't really imagine the southwestern or western United States without. Uh, without Hispanic influence. I mean, it doesn't exist. I mean, you know, it's, it's everywhere here in Southern California and the South, mm -hmm. uh, even in Texas, right? I mean, it, it's, there's a very, it's very prominent there, but yet it, it's, it, it, there really is a disjunction between, you know, kind of mainstream cultural representations and the impact of, of Hispanic culture in the United States. Mm -hmm. And in particular, Puerto Rican culture, I always feel, I mean, in, I mean, it really, I mean, it's, Caribbean Puerto Rican culture is, is is so different. It's so unique. It really does not easily fit under this umbrella. Yet it gets lumped in, you know, with this broader. I don't know. Can you speak to that and sort of like what you know? I, I mean, I, I guess the size of the category certainly has something to do with it for sure. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, but anything else to to comment on? Sure. I mean, it, that's true of of black culture, of white culture. I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> There's mm -hmm. there's differences and mm -hmm. diversities um, across across every sort of one of these catch-all phrases that we understand right. as a construct, right? That we're using to just um, to make a shorthand. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, Puerto Rican culture, as you mentioned, you know, like that's something I've worked, um, you know, closely with uh, Puerto Rican art. I've worked very closely with um, having served 15 years at Museo del Barrio before mm -hmm. I went to Columbia University, um, and. You know, when you just think about Museo del Barrio, for example, as an example, um, it, it, it's, it's space, which is about, you know, 7,000 square feet to represent, mm -hmm. is, is, it's to represent that entire artistic mm -hmm. culture and, and Latinx art and mm -hmm, culture mm -hmm. in New York City. That's the largest museum. 
Right. So that's, you know, that's, that's quite shocking. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I was saying to a friend the other day that I desperately wish that there was a blue chip gallery in Chelsea, you know, something the size of like, listen or pace that showed Caribbean artists because we're a ton of Caribbean artists. You know, mm-hmm. a bunch, I know a bunch. Um, um, I'm sure actually everyone here in the conversation knows a few who do not have representation. And it's crazy to me. I was just in Chicago, I think it was October, November of last year, and I saw the Forecast Forum show, which I'm sure you know about. Yeah, beautiful. We, we supported that through oh, Nice. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I had um, lunch with. Um, 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 Carla, Carmen? Carla Acevedo Yates, the curator. Yes, yeah, exactly. And we Mm -hmm. talked about how that show came together. And then I saw Deborah Jack's piece in it. The show wasn't fully installed when I said, I know. It's heartbreaking. Deborah Jack's piece blew me away. I know. I've never seen it. Okay, so you guys wanted to gloss this. Okay, right. Or the period listeners. And we want to be excited too. For sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. I can do it a little bit. I love that. Deborah Jack is from Antigua? St. Martin. Martin. Okay, thank you. Um, I know her basically through Ebony Patterson, who's a Jamaican artist who's um, very well known in the U.S. She now lives in Chicago, or spits her time between Chicago and um, and um, Jamaica. Anyway, came to know Jebber Jack a few years ago, and um, kn- knew her work somewhat. But but when I went, saw the show in Chicago Forecast Forum, there is an entire installation. It's a huge room with, and it's kind of like you, the, the way it's laid out. You enter the room, and there's a sort of space off to the right. And then you move forward and there's a larger space off um, further down and to the right. And the, uh, uh, the film is laid out across the entire um, uh, uh, expanse of the rooms. And it's this immersive, lush soundtrack. I don't know how to describe the music, but it's just sort of trees and plants and flowers and things moving through that space so you feel like you're enveloped in this caribbean paradise and it's um it's just one of the most moving things i've ever experienced Mm. yeah it's it's like an amazing i think it's like seven or nine channel video it's it's just Mm. phenomenal um and her her work is it both schools you in history that perhaps you didn't really know all the details of and is incredibly beautiful and metaphoric in terms of like taking you on a journey. She's also a writer and a poet. And so the, the, the text-based elements are incredible. Um, yeah. You all should see her work. Nice. Yeah. Deborah Jack. And uh, anyway, we're saying to this person that it, it seemed uh, such a shame, such a, a missed opportunity that there isn't a gallery that, mm-hmm. and, and it should be. I mean, New York has the resources, right? And we, we have the deep-pocketed individuals who could open up such a space and, and, and make a point of writing uh, 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 that historical wrong, I guess is the way I want to say it. Um, I, but here, here's, here's a follow-up question. When, we, when Travis and I talked the other week about, um, about these issues, I, I surmise that part of the reason why Latin folks get so little airplay in the cultural sector is that our particular political landscape is so polarized and it is so defined by black versus white that I think folks from Asia 
folks from um, um, South Asia, folks from um, South America, folks from uh, 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 the other folks just get lost in the shuffle. They get lost in the conversation. If I can, if I can piggyback on that, I mean, there is a way in which, it, and yeah, I actually appreciated you touched on this in your in your opening remarks. You know, with kind of talking about the issue of categories, there is a way in which contemporary American discourse, I feel like, is ill suited to some of these discussions because I remember as at a conference a couple of years ago, so I guess more than a couple is before COVID, so several years ago. Uh, with an anthropologist who specializes from El Salvador, specializes in Central America, uh, wrestling culture, actually. And um, he was, you know, he was talking about how um, it, both he, him personally as, you know, sort of as a, a first generation immigrant and in his community, that there is a resentment over these kind of overarching categories of everything getting lumped into Hispanic or Latin, the, his main problem is Latin America. You know, you're talking about dozens of different cultures. You're talking about, you know, a dozen different nationalities. And, and yet our discourse, our popular discourse, like Seth just said, is so freighted, so lumbering with these, you know, categories of, you know, sort of black, white, white bodies, brown bodies, etc. And that in these communities, there's actually a kind of a, a low grade resentment that, you know, you would walk into a Latin American market and see El Salvadoran food next to Guatemalan food as if these things are not actually, you know, like separate and different or whatever. So I don't know, anyway, if you can sort of speak to that and, and sort of uh, in, in your own thoughts and work on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think that's that's absolutely true. And I think um, I think people sometimes there's been like a lot of conversation about the terminology. And I feel like that's like not at all the point of this. I think mm. it's like I said earlier, it's a construct, any any of these mm. terminologies, right? And so when you're speaking about an artist in particular, you need to speak about and that artist or, or that culture very particularly. Right. Um, and Latinx or Latine or whatever you want to, whatever term we want to use, Hispanic in the United States. I mean, I'm when I use that term, I'm speaking specifically about people in the United States, mm -hmm. not okay. not Latin America. Um, some Caribbean mm -hmm. is included in that. Caribbean is often included in that. I mean, people divide, put the line in different places. I certainly would include Puerto Rican in that mm -hmm. um, because of the colonial status of Puerto Rico and the influence of the United States on the culture, uh, mm -hmm. for better, for worse, for worse, mm -hmm. mostly. Um, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but and then Latin America is an entirely different thing. But for sure, it includes people who have been here for for longer, <laughs> you right. know, longer than mm. uh, you know Americans on the on the Mayflower. Right. Um, yeah. You're all when, Americans. You're when the border crossed them, um, mm -hmm. and then and then you know much more recent much more recent immigrants. But the vast majority of the population has been here for quite a long time, mm -hmm. and many don't even speak Spanish. Um, and it, I think, I think Seth made a good point that it gets caught up in sort of recent, you know, recent polarizations, recent political polarizations, mm -hmm. I think. So, and that's part of it. So Deborah, I had a question for you, cause I was thinking about the moment when museums decided that their form of activism during the Black Lives Matter moment would actually, you put up a sign and say, you know, we, Black Lives Matter. Has there been a similar moment for Latinx or Hispanic artists in the art, in the art, um, in the art field, where people are like, "Oh, something has happened, and now we must 
increase our representation um, or be more diverse the way that the, normally normally what happens is this sort of like lame ass activism around blackness or queerness or whatnot. And I wanted to know if there was something recently that has happened or something that you've kind of noticed, because um, I'll say this. I was friends with uh, Miriam Jimenez Roman and her husband Juan Flores. They were both Miriam did some work at the Schomburg Center. I have that for Latino reader. I constantly like give it out to people. And I'm really sad that both of them have passed because I knew they wanted to do different volumes to cover that. And so she kind of got me thinking about how diversity or how the U.S. typically does activism around diversity. And I wanted to know, is there a moment that you can point to or moments where you go, oh, this happened and now oh, Rita Moreno said this and now we have to make sure that <laughs> this is happening over here in our institution. We want to make sure we put all, all our Latinx or Hispanic art out front or people to kind of show that we are blah, blah, blah. Do you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah that's that's a complicated question, Stephen, yeah. but, but I think- Low the cost signals. <laughs> I think the Black Lives no Matter signals. <laughs> I mean, certainly the Black Lives Matter movement, um, you know, helped reignite mm -hmm. in the Latinx community, at least that I'm I'm tuned into um, the foregrounding of of Afro Latinx, Afro Caribbean, um, and 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 the, the the African diaspora population that is a part of correct the yeah. Latinx mm -hmm. community, right? It's 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 it is you know we, we talked about some of the different sort of geographies and time yeah. frames and like spaces mm -hmm. and the, you know but we you know certainly um you know race is is another another big a big you know mm -hmm. another big part of the complexity of, mm -hmm. of what is latinx or latine or hispanic or, um so so i think it helped i think i think the latinx community uh joined in um solidarity with that moment mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it foregrounded how much work needs to be done in terms of um, you know, dealing with colorism within the right. Latinx community yeah. and trying to be more as, mm -hmm. as, as, as Miriam would have, would have mm -hmm. wanted, wanted everyone to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Colorism. Oof, we could spend the rest of the time talking about that. Lord. Anti-indigeneity. I don't want to leave that out of yes, the conversation. No, either and anti-Asian mm -hmm. sentiment, which mm -hmm. all of these, show up in different ways in the Latinx community as well. Mm -hmm. Right. It's one of the ways, it's a recurring theme on the podcast, at least. Uh, it was not just me, but I mean, we, you know, we come back to this a lot, which is just that um, I often, you know, and to kind of borrow a little bit from Audre Lorde, like I, I feel like the ways in which we deal with these inherent inequalities, cultural inequalities, economic inequalities, racial inequalities in Anglo-American culture is the very tools that produce the inequalities and, oh, yeah. and, and the homogenization of these cultures. And so we, it's almost like you, you have to erase the thing to combat the thing. And so, you, you know, just in talking about like, you know, Stephen's point, so you end up doing, you know, so this, this movement, the BLM movement, or, or, or you fill in the blank over the last 50 years, you know, with various civil, civil rights movements, Mm -hmm. It becomes this low-cost signal for people of means and and people in a you know in elite status in this culture to it's a low-cost signal to say like okay I'm you know I'm for equality I'm for you know the black community I want to champion these things but in the meantime the way that these things are handled are by erasures by 
by what Kierkegaard called leveling, right? So like there's, uh, there's a leveling process that happens, which, you know, kind of another, I mean, he means sort slightly different things with it, but it's a kind of homogenization that happens there. And clearly you must be sensitive to that. I mean, because you immediately at the beginning of the conversation, you were already touching on these things. Like this is a huge category. It's, it's very capacious. It, it swallows up all of these particulars. So in your work, obviously something you're preoccupied with, how do you, mm. you know, how do you do battle with that monster? Like how, you know, how do you deal with that? How do you combat that? Or, or sidestep it or, or something else where we could dance. Cause we're, again, we're not <laughs> right. using those tools maybe to kind of, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, so, no, right. Okay. Fair right. enough. So, yeah, see, I just I'm just thinking myself, about what so, you said, yeah. which I think is cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm glad yeah. you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's simplistic at best, but um, with, you know, one of the things I've been really, one of the projects I came in wanting to do um, to when I, when I joined Mellon, Three years ago now um was was you know get some funding um mm -hmm. into into the arts and culture of these mm -hmm. communities that we're speaking about so the first thing we did during the pandemic was get start getting money to the hands of artists so we nice. created a you know a, an artist a latinx artist fellowships for better and for worse but when you look at that page of the fellows you'll see you'll see the range of mm -hmm. what that term means right and, and start to identify some artists for people to acquire, to buy, <laughs> buy their work, show their work, support, etc. Did you so, want to ask a question? Yeah, quick question. Sorry to interrupt you, Deborah. But so when you, I don't know if that you were necessarily involved in the process of picking the fellows. Let's just no, no, you weren't. Okay. Well, let's just kind of assume that because I'm sure you've been involved in other similar processes, right? <laughs> that when you're in the room and you're doing that, you're looking through the portfolios and you're looking through the list of names. And, I, and I've had, caught, had reason to think about this a lot in the last few months because I've taken on a lot of curatorial projects. Do you do the thing where you go, okay, we have someone from Mexico. We have to have someone from El Salvador. We have to have someone from Belize. We have to have someone. Do you do that? I think sometimes you have to. Mm. I mean, I know, I know, I'll say, I'll say for myself, any curatorial project I've done, I've, you know, done my pre selection. Mm -hmm. And then I do count women, men. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have always said, who are the elders in this group? Mm -hmm. You know, who, who, who are the elders that need to show up here? Like, I, I have always done a certain kind of counting just to check myself and make mm -hmm. sure because sometimes we think we're better than we are. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know. I wasn't in those jury rooms, right. but I think it's not a bad thing sometimes to do to just check to say, have we touched our bases? Have we thought about craft artists? Have we thought about people yeah. living on the island as opposed mm. to just yes? Like, have we done that? Like, I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily. I don't think you need to go in with a quota. Like, we have to have one, 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 one. But I think it's good to check yourself. So I just want to say, I know yeah. both of you, Stephen and, 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 and Travis, you both have things to say, but just quickly. <clears throat> excuse me, I want to say, that's what I do. I mean, I do the thing after. I don't exactly. do it during or before. I, I pick based on the work, mm -hmm. what I think, mm -hmm. I think um, it makes the strongest sort of representation of the curatorial theme, la la la. And right. then I go back and say, right. okay, do, what's, what's the ratio of men to women? What, mm -hmm. what, how many people are older than age 50 or 65? Um, um, That's where are I these people to. from? Exactly. Yeah. And then sometimes you're like, oh, I need to cut somebody or I, I, I have a little more space. And then you have opportunity to adjust. Mm -hmm, I can't mm -hmm. get that work. Who am I going to fill it with? Oh, I wasn't really good about that. So let me mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Stephen, you were going to – I have something, but I, if Stephen, go ahead if you had something to, ju- uh, to jump in. It's still formulating around this idea of – because when you both, Deborah and, and Seth, were talking about this thing, it's like you choose your art. And I was like, yeah, doesn't – it? it's <laughs> – it's, it's based on the thing that you're trying to do with the show. So then you think, oh, you know, like you said, you pre-select, you know, these people represent, their work represents what I'm trying to get across and then add people afterwards. And there was some question I had, but it's not coming as quickly as I wanted to. So go right ahead. Well, I was going to say, I, I appreciate the, the, the question because it is, I feel like it is one of the most seductive arguments that you will get from reactionaries or kind of people defending dominant cultural positions, yet it's also a specious argument. This idea that, well, just pick the art. Like you just pick the artist. Like you just pick the best work. Why can't we just pick the best work? Why why are we doing why are we checking all these boxes? And it's it's a really specious, naive argument because it 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 is in fact part of the sausage making. Like there's always political positionality. Now I'm not saying it's not, of course of course, it's in the mix, right? I mean, sometimes you you work you were working with people that are so transcendent and like their message is so powerful that it kind of blinds you to the other variables. But these this is few and far between. This is in reality. There's eight seats at the table and eight thousand people trying to sit down. And I don't think it's I, I don't I think it's a perfectly reasonable, even though it makes us. I, not to read into your response, Deborah, but I like, of course, immediately go like, oh, not you, but immediately people get defensive. About it. Well, am I checking a box? Well, this is how you make the sausage. You have to like, you have to weigh all of these things when mm-hmm. you're making a decision about who to show. There's limited institutional space. There's limited room to, you know, to champion anyone. Um, so anyway, I just, I, I appreciate that we're talking about it because I feel like it's such a, a it's, it's a bad argument. And how was your idea formed for what is excellence? I right. mean, where did that come from? Which Absolutely. which rooms was that formed in? And Absolutely. By, you know, so and what did right. you, yeah. So. And so I'm so glad you said what you said, Travis. Oh, sorry. Go no, sorry. no, go ahead, Stephen. Go ahead, please. I'm glad you said what you said, Travis, because I think the comment I wanted to make is that my cat loves to talk to me while I'm on the podcast. <laughs> that wasn't the comment. The comment actually was about this idea of excellence. It really was. It was this idea of, well, you know, they're just better. And it's like, well, no, they've been at the table and they've been at the table forever. Different, the same people. And sometimes it's a market driven mm-hmm. thing. Do you know? You, you can't tell me. I love it when people talk about affirmative action and they act as if people just started becoming. You're going to take someone who has no training off the street and then put him in a position of a CEO or something like these ridiculous things. It's like yeah. well, people have been making beautiful art forever. You know, no matter where mm-hmm. they're from, right? So then when you start to do that, people come in and will go, well, it looks like you're just trying to fill quotas. And it's like, well, if we, the sausage, I have another metaphor that I was thinking about, which is that it would just represent what this nation is supposed to be about, you know, rather than mm-hmm. this idea of, yeah. we just, you know, we think that these people deserve something because they continuously are written about, they're continuously being shown, they're continuously... Again, we want folks to have not just a seat at the table, we want to make this... We might want to, like, tear down the table. We might want some other apparatus. Yeah. Bigger tables. Yeah, or... <laughs> or no, no tables, apparently. Bigger tables. Or something, but... <laughs> so, but some so tables I, you don't even want to sit at, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, Someone said this to me, I think it was, I want to say it was last year. It's so present in my consciousness that it feels like it was quite recent. It may have been longer ago. But he said 
we were talking about this and, and he had a really uh, insightful observation. He said, we don't need to have a conversation about quality. We need to have a conversation about relevance. Relevance. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. Like, is, is this work relevant to the mm -hmm. curatorial thesis you have developed? Is it relevant to the ethos of this institution? Is it relevant to the principles that we have subtending whatever enterprise we are engaging in right now? Like, that's that. And, and I just, I, 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 I don't want to, well, I want to make sure that, that I hear more from Deborah than I speak, but I want to just give an example that might spur something. Uh, I was asked to do the Pratt Alumni Show this year, to curate it. And I wanted to put together a really poetic exhibition. So my idea, and I look, it was basically I had to look through the last five years of all the graduates, their websites and um, Instagram uh, uh, feeds. And the thing that jumped out at me was that there's, there's a, across the board, there was a certain, in certain of the artists, there was this particular way of using light. And it made me think of that um, Emily Dickinson poem, which begins, there is a certain slant of light. And so that was, that became the curatorial thesis. And what I found when I put, started to put these names together under that rubric was that I had that diversity. I just did because the, it just, it worked out that way. There is, there are people from China, from Korea. There are more women than men. There are, there are people from um, the Southwest United States. There are people from the Caribbean. It just, it just, it, it worked out that way. But I started with a premise and I found work that was relevant to it. So the question might be like, don't you wish more institutions did that? <laughs> <laughs> don't you wish they were more like Seth <laughs> and some of that is some of that is 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 expertise right and expertise in different areas right mm -hmm. so we're getting back to the and different life experiences so mm -hmm. we're getting back to the you know sort of museum moment and and the second part of the Latinx funding that we've been able to do which is to create help create positions in institutions that wanted to create those positions and had good reasons to create those positions mm. um, for curators who had expertise in Latinx art. Mm. Um, so that was sort of the second phase of the initiative was to sort of create opportunity for people who had different kinds of experience to be inside of institutions to start changing some of what we see on the walls and perhaps the artists that are involved in those institutions and maybe ultimately the way some institutions act certainly and structurally, right? It's better than a yeah, DEI be person. It's, it's better yeah. than DEI, 100%. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I want to be respectful of your time. Like we, we slotted 30 minutes for this, and I don't, I don't want to take you over too much, but I, I, do, I do have a... I can go a, a little a, bit longer. It doesn't... Yeah, go ahead. Okay, great. So, because I do have a follow-up question. So, you, you, you know, you mentioned, so you've been at the Mellon for three years and, you know, you were, is there an institutional awareness that there are some paucities in these areas? Uh, or is that a sensibility you, and, and was that part of like the hiring, is that why you were kind of brought in to sort of address this shortcoming? Or is that a sensibility you brought personally to your position? I think I think both. I mean, uh, you know, Elizabeth okay. Alexander, our president, um, is 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 well aware 
of, you know, the range of art and culture, especially in the United States. I mean, she's, she's, Mm -hmm. I I will, I will just remind the history that she was actually at Ford Foundation when that first, there was a a Latinx convening in 2016, um, Mm. that she, she was, she was there in arts and culture at that point. Um, and she was an instigator for with Teresita Fernandez. And then my colleague, Rocio Aranda Alvarado was hired. And then Elizabeth came here. Mm -hmm. Rocio and I went to school together. We worked at El Museo del Barrio together. And so now we're in philanthropy together. So we're able to (laughs) collaborate on things, which is the way it works, right? right? You have to find your allies and you you work better in force. Mm -hmm. You work better in teams, right? So, um, yeah. So I, I think, I think Elizabeth understood that. But I think when an opening appeared and, and I was available, it was something that I could bring to the table most strongly, you know, a passion, one of, the, one of my passions. So, so a, a quick question I have too. I'm sorry, Travis, did you have a follow-up? I was only going to ask, um, is that awareness pervasive? Is it something that uh, the other institutions, other philanthropic institutions are aware of? Is, is, is this kind of a... Is there a surging moment around this, or is this a preoccupation for you guys? I hope so. We're not quite at where where Seth started with in terms mm. of galleries and the market. Right. Hopefully, some of this will will lead there. We'll get there. We'll have impact there in that space, and that's not a space that we work really directly. Mm-hmm. But um, but but that is ultimately the goal, you know, to, mm-hmm. to sort of change change fortunes and 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 bring awareness. And I think. Um, creating curatorial positions, getting money in the hands of artists and highlighting the artists. And then the next phase, which we're working on now and won't probably come till next year is like the academic space, right? Helping people study and Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. teach and study, which, you know, there's very few people who teach or have a specialty in Latinx art in the academy. So Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's something that needs to be bolstered. So I think once those pieces are in place, I mean, we're seeing this year, there is a moment, right? We have, Daniel and Ramos at PS1, with Pepon Osorio coming at the new museum. We had Amalia Mesa Baines just had a retrospective. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that long ago, uh, Yolanda Lopez had a retrospective before she passed. Um, who, what, you know, there's, there's, a, there's sort of a moment, right? There's a Poco Fusco mm-hmm. retrospective in the, in the offing. Um, there's there's a, lot, a lot happening. So I think people are looking, right? Nice. So, with this initiative, the maniobra is that is that the way you say it? Maniobra was yeah was an initiative in Puerto Rico. Uh huh. Right. Um. It's it's it from the re- from the thing that you linked us to. My reading of it, uh, the initiative or the initial funding is supposed to last for three years. Yes. So, what do you expect to happen after three years? Right. That's that's the that's the question. Mm. I mean, the initiatives I've been speaking about in in the United mm-hmm. States are five-year initiatives, but still five years is fast. This um, is in Puerto Rico, correct? I mean, just the to, to project that Seth, Seth mentioned is, is, is supporting um, artists run artists, artists in artists run spaces in Puerto Rico. It's giving them a salary okay. and benefits mm-hmm. for three years guaranteed. Right. Okay. Right. Um, and, and some programming funds okay. um, and professional, some professional development supports. Nice. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a great question, right? Um, we're trying to bring others to the table, um, both both initiatives, um, bring other funders to the table, raise awareness, and certainly we're not going to walk out of the space and turn our back and turn to something else. But you know, um, I think we're trying to make a statement, you know, that this signal that this is where 
support needs to some support needs to go. I mean, mm-hmm. there's many many areas, right? But this is one of them. So you're trying, you're, you're hoping and trying to get other either philanthropic organizations or art and cultural organizations to see them and to also invest in them. Exactly. Okay. Cool. Yes. Yes, and and, and start a fire, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Mellon does partner with numerous organizations in Puerto Rico specifically for that work. Okay. Um, in terms of the Latinx initiative in the United States, mm-hmm. it was just Ford and Mellon at first. Then we partnered with Getty and Terra for the positions. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. And hopefully, we'll bring others to the table for academia, and so just sort of raising awareness. And of course, Getty's like kind of building on Pacific Standard Time, LALA, mm-hmm. doing more as as Getty looking at California. Correct. Mm-hmm. Tara in Chicago. Yeah, that's the hope. Yeah, I mean, the, the, my, my experience with this is not in, from the art world, but in the academy. I mean, this is how the Ford Foundation kind of stood up the African Americans and the Bible Project in the 90s that was led by Vincent Wimbush. So they they drew it, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're starting, you're trying to create something with some legs and it becomes self-perpetuating. And they... Mm-hmm. They took a chance on this program and then put some more funding behind it. And then, you know, more people kind of came in into the project to, because their attention was drawn to it. I mean, this is what you're trying to do, right? Like sort of like get people to see what's going on because, because there's already work being done there. It's already there to, you know, mm-hmm, to be cultivated. Mm-hmm. It's just about, you know, bringing enough uh, attention to the, that area. And funding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Funding. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> chatter. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, so we've got about five minutes left. Anything that we didn't ask you about that you you want to talk about, or anything that we missed, or you know, want to circle back to, or um, no? I mean, I think we've covered a lot. I mean, there's a lot more to say in all these areas, of course. <laughs> um, but you know, the, maybe one last thing that I'll mention is we haven't, you know, hasn't been you know officially announced yet. But Mellon's been doing, we've been doing another project that is intersectional with this that I've been involved in is we've been doing a lot of investigatory work on the borderlands, the U.S.-Mexico borderlands, mm. um, to which, you know, sort of intersects with Latinx, but is not exclusively, of course. Um, you know, so we've been we've been doing a lot of investigation and travel there um, okay. and seeking to, to build support for organizations there. Okay. Wonderful. Nice. Uh, in in the art world, are we talking about uh, economic support or I, I, like I do art, I do art and culture, so it's 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 art and cultural okay. work, but often at organizations okay. that do other other things as well. Okay. Cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When I was um, in Seth Stephen. Oh yeah. Just this 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 a final mm-hmm. quote for me was that when I was in grad school at UC Irvine, I had a professor. And Deborah probably knows um, him or knows of his work, Daniel Joseph Martinez. And oh, yes, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 93 uh, Whitney Biennial, um, notorious for the work that he did there. Um, he said when he was talking about um, Southern California, he's like, you have to remember, this used to be Mexico. Yeah. And it's, it's, kind, of, <laughs> it's kind of that simple. It's like, that used to be Mexico. And I wanted to mention that today because of, you know, um, the rollback of, of Title 42 and mm-hmm. everything that's happening on the borderlands. And mm-hmm. that narrative has been really shaped through this created war zone that we've made mm-hmm. um, yeah. on our border mm-hmm. with our neighbor. Mm-hmm. And um, we're looking at all the incredible art and culture that's flourishing there with, again, very little mm-hmm. support. So I think there's something that we can do there. 
opportunities mm-hmm. for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Ecotones, I think they're called, like in ecology, right? Where you have two different um, habitats and demographies overlapping. You just you get it's a mm-hmm. it's a flourishing of creativity. Deborah, thank you very much thank for you your so time. Much, Deborah. It, yeah. You've been a wonderful guest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Edge Podcast. Uh, this is your host, C. Travis Webb, and uh, you just heard our interview with uh, Deborah Cullen Morales. Um, and so, you know, like we typically do with our new inter- interview format, we're going to, you know, kind of do a, a postmortem and, and talk about what we talked about um, and any things that occurred to us. We're, we're, there's a little bit of a longer break between the conversation we had with her and when the three of us are talking. Um, so, you know, please be patient. We might reach it might be a little bit more of a, a stretch for us to reorient ourselves so uh, but i do have a pretty good memory of the conversation it was pleasant um seth uh, do you want to you know kind of uh resituate us you know based on the conversation and, and the work you've done with deborah in the past well <clears throat> to be iterate i know deborah through my time uh working at hyperallergic and be coming well getting introduced to her at the time when she was the director i think of the wallach art gallery Mm -hmm. on the campus of columbia university um she mentioned during the talk the conversation that she'd been a curator before i don't remember what institution oh el museum el museo del barrio that's right that's right she was there she was there for several years and then um after the wallach gallery was briefly uh, the director of the Bronx Museum of the Arts and is now a program officer at the Mellon Foundation. And the conversation basically centered on how she has consistently throughout her career sought to support and expand the reach of Latin artists in the U.S. Um, She refers to them Using the term Latinx, I find it a little bit problematic, so I tend to say Latin A or Latin, and she recognized that too. We she talked, we talked yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciated that. It, you know, something that won't ultimately get aired is when we were, we had some. It was a tough month for us, kind of pinning our schedules down. Uh, both Seth and Stephen. I mean, all of us are very busy, but Seth and Stephen's calendars are particularly full with uh, outside obligations and big projects right now. Um, and obviously Deborah's uh, calendar too. Um, I make myself sound like the also ran <laughs> on the schedule, but, uh, but you know, one of the things, so early on when we were trying to coordinate this, Seth and I ended up, we had a near miss, Seth and I ended up having a conversation about, uh, kind of current trends in the art world around this term Latinx, which there's really no reason to air that conversation, not that there's anything embarrassing in it, but it just, it's, it's, there's more context now. I really appreciated that clearly for Deborah and and I would assume other people that she works with in the art world, there is some sensitivity and awareness of how lumbering this term is uh, and how um, 
in some ways uh, restrictive. But of course, it seemed very clear that this was not weighing down their curatorial choices or weighing down kind of their their aesthetic and political sensibilities about how to how to represent these artists, which I appreciated, which I thought was uh, was heartening to hear, actually. Um, so anyway, I just throw that in. Yeah, I just find that I it's problematic for me because from what I've read, there isn't much take up of that term in the streets. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a, it's an academic term, and mostly mm-hmm. academics use it, and it has therefore has very little popular traction, mm-hmm. and. Um, it's just also weird because the X isn't used that way in Spanish. It just sounds mm. weird. It's like that's not what a Spanish-speaking person typically would say. So, mm. whatever. Do you know when the term I mean, originated, Seth, though? Do you know how it originated? I, I don't. I read a piece on it, but I read this like two years ago, Stephen, and I don't remember the particulars. Um, if I did some digging, I could probably find it for you. Yeah, I was curious um, about it because because mm-hmm. that point of it not it makes it sound as if the the term didn't originate inside of the 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 country itself, but in the the immigrant populations in the U.S. That's mm. what I was getting, at, or that's mm. what I was, that's what I was wondering if that was the case. Mm. Well, I mean, besides that, what we ended up talking about was the degree to which a surprising degree to which. Uh, Latin artists are underfunded by public foundations uh, that typically uh, uh, support arts and cultural organizations. I mean, it was something like 2% of, is that right? 2% of public funding goes towards... It was very small. It was, not it was very small. Yeah, that's right. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was just, I, I remember reading that from the things that she sent us initially and being really shocked by it and then hearing Deborah talk about how she thought that that was due to uh, there not being essentially enough personnel, enough infrastructure in the art scene mm-hmm. to get, to basically to, to, to pound the door for more money. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, oh, I'm sorry, Stephen, you're about to say something. Oh no, I was going to agree with you. I think that's the case. In addition to it's, it's. I wonder how that lines up with what they call the Latino vote, and it constantly mm-hmm. banding every election that the Latino vote is going to change everything. It's going to mm-hmm. always right. Everything's mm-hmm. going to change everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm curious about that when she said that, I was like, so that didn't surprise me because I think art institutions and galleries in the art world is a very particular one. And I think it's only maybe it's all, isn't it always affected by current trends and has Latino mm. other than Latino or Latinx had its moment with performing arts with Jennifer Lopez and, and like stars, but it hasn't really happened that way in the art world. And that was two decades ago when that happened. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, not to take it in a, in a, in a very different direction, but you know, this didn't come out in the conversation and it's not necessarily an arg- ar- a line of argumentation or a perspective that we regularly talk about or that I regularly voice on the podcast. But in reality, I actually think there is a not 
not on a spectrum, there is a a qualitative difference between black American culture and other non-white cultures in the United States. Um, and, and that is that black culture in the United States emerged from a, a focused, concerted, institutional attempt to erase an origin. That is different than, than Mexican American culture. That is different than Ecuadorian American culture. That is different than Indian American culture. That is different. I mean, it's just different. Mm. Um, and mm. as much as I like to emphasize, you know, that I, I think it's a blind alley to be, to be dwelling on our differences so much. I only think that project is possible if we recognize that there is a difference. We, you know, America, the United States, its identity was shaped around intentionally dripping away the things that make humans human, which is our cultural productions, right? Everything else is the same as other apes, right? We, you know, we make tools, you know, we vocalize to one another, but, but the sophistication of our culture and, and that was an, an intentional project. And so I, I do think it's just uh, different. I think you probably need different strategies and tactics and different spaces and different allowances uh, for, uh, for black culture in America, as opposed to, I mean, you know, Mexico's like a hundred miles away from my, you know, from my front door, lots of cultural productions coming out of their incredibly vibrant international country. And of course there are in African countries too, but again, systematically erased in the United States for 200 plus years. That's a little different. Or the attempt to, anyway. You know, the, yeah, you know, of course, attempt. Of oh, course, attempt. Yeah, unsuccessful. Wanna, unsuccessful. Unsuccessful. But also, I was curious, though, when we talk about Mexican culture, even though there's not a systematic erasure, you know, that particular project, how come it still doesn't... So I don't understand why it isn't more well-known or more... It's specifically in the art world, right? So there is, a, there is that part of the art world, but in the mainstream, it's still treated as um, uh, Other. A part, I mean, a small part of it. Not in, Southern Cal not in Southern California. I don't feel that at okay. all. So like, I feel like it's a little bit of a class thing. Like, it may not be represented in the oh. art world, but like, we, like, I hear mariachi music blaring like in my house from my neighbors all the time. Like, like Mexican culture, Mexican-American culture is very much present and alive in Southern California and lived and not, not at all unrepresented and not at all uh, out of view. Uh, and I assume that that's probably true in the rest of the Southwest. Well, I think, I think Deborah was specifically talking about the art scene. And I think that, sure. is, that is right that in certain parts, regional areas of the U.S., the representation of Latin cultures is much more visible than it is in the uh, New York art scene. Um, I think in the New York scene, bracketing aside arts for a moment, just in, in New York culture in general, um, Puerto Rican and Dominican culture um, or Dominican people and Puerto Rican people are pretty heavily represented. I mean, I think it's, I think it's impossible to sort of throw a rock and not hit someone who is a, um, from the Spanish speaking Caribbean, uh, who's is in politics, 
who is in the arts, who is uh, in um, the sort of the sort of big industries in New York, um, uh, real estate, finance, finance, um, politics. Uh, what are the other ones I'm missing? You, you mean other economic, other economic domains? industries? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, certainly in commerce, all over in commerce. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sure. So I feel like it's it's regionalized, um, and I feel mm-hmm. like what Deborah, what Deborah was talking about was there just happens to be this sort of gap, this sort of aporia, where it yeah. comes to contemporary art representation. Not sure why that is. Mm. Yeah, I mean, clearly something that is. I, I mean, obviously, is an intent to remedy, right? I mean, this, I mean, this is obviously what a lot of this push is about, um, for her work and, and, and current projects that they're doing. And, and I thought the tie in, um, I, I guess they're doing a lot of work down, uh, uh, on the border, uh, sort of whereas, or wherever that I, I know I just butchered that, but, um, but, uh, uh, in that region, you know, on that Texas-Mexico border, a lot of, you know, work being done right down there. Because a lot of the ways that sort of awareness of Latin American, as in broader Latin America, as in South of the United States, mm-hmm. culture enters American consciousness is through border crisis, is through, quote-unquote, illegal immigration, mm-hmm. uh, this kind of thing, is, is how most of the media is saturated with, with those kind of discussions. So even though, you know, I was commenting on like the class thing, I still think it's a worthwhile project, right? Because you want to, you know, these cultural production should be represented at all strata of society and should be, should be, you know, kind of at play in all strata of society. Mm-hmm. And if you see, a, if you see something that's missing, you know, the, the first question you should ask, you know, yourself is why, why is it missing? Maybe it's just, you know, maybe there's not enough people at the table and maybe there's some other reason for it too. But Stephen, you're about to say something. It looked like. I'm actually just trying to mediate the sound over here to make sure that <laughs> the sirens and the horns and everything <laughs> don't come through. Yeah. I, I was wondering about the piano music, actually. Is that coming from you, Stephen? No, no piano music. Uh, from me. So I am I am uh, sad to know that that's coming through my my uh, my <laughs> headphones. I figured that the noise canceling on my headphones would. So our listeners are going to get a little bit of a background music. That is uh, my youngest son downstairs practicing the piano. So oh, what okay. What is he practicing? Chopin? Leitz? Uh No, he's definitely not practicing Chopin. <laughs> so we'll after that, so. <laughs> Some sonatina. I'm not sure which one. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's what, that's what that sound is. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, one of the, one of the, you know, our conversation, uh, kind of went in a direction that I also thought was, is fairly fruitful and and something that should be talked about more in ways that are honest, which I think we're pretty honest about it is, you know, sort of the idea of representation, you know, like the the other the other criteria you're bringing into the room when you're deciding who's going to be represented in a show who's going to get grant funding and whatnot um, and you know I I said then and would just repeat now that I find the conversations in general 
pretty disingenuous when it comes on, on, on particularly on conservative criticisms of quote unquote conservative criticisms of this stuff. Like let you know, just let the art speak for itself. Let you know these sort of like really kind of naive notions of of what that means without wanting to abandon the the idea of you know kind of aesthetic potency without wanting to abandon the idea of genius that uh, that manifests itself in in all times and places rarely because it's rare um and but that bringing political considerations to the table is it isn't incompatible those things are not don't need to be incompatible at all uh, but oftentimes they're represented as if they are. So you had smiled um, while Travis was saying that, Stephen. What does that? What does that mean? Uh, so the smiles again, mediating the sound, but also laughing at the idea that you know, <clears throat> let the art speak for itself. Is to me, it's it's a through line through. Let everyone be at the table, and it's like, what table are we talking about here? It's what we discussed a few um, podcasts back. It's like so. Who are we actually talking about when we want at the table? What class of person? If you're talking about an artist who is black but may not have certain kinds of connections to specific kinds of black experiences or communities, what does that mean? That doesn't mean a lot, but it's right. just out of something as opposed to. So that that's what was making me laugh. This idea that over the years, I'm sure you've had this too. Um, that we need somebody black. Can you do it? <laughs> and it's like. <laughs> But what it does, I mean, that's one thing to offer Real me talk. something when I have, you know, when I want the money, you know, and seeing how I could like, but, or when I want the money or when I want the influence, but also just looking at the makeup of the, the tables I've been invited to don't, um, over the years have become less and less interesting given the results of those kinds of, those, uh, those initiatives, you know, actually, yeah after yeah. somebody came to the table. They, we need more women. So what does that mean? Does, did it mean that more people, more women were in the exhibition, on the, on the program, in the boardroom? Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> but you know, they, 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 they got a good faith effort. It's like it wasn't a good faith effort. <laughs> it was a way to yeah. look at doing something, but you weren't doing it. So I feel the yeah. similar about let the art speak for itself. Like this, as everybody knows, that community, like all communities are, really, really um, on top of each other with people that know other people that know other people that know other people. So, yeah, I mean, Always. yeah, yeah it, it, it's a, it's a silly, uh, what's the word? Not bromide, but um, um, it's a silly um, saying, uh, this, this thing, let, let the art speak for itself. It, and you know, I, I've said this a few times. I don't know if I said this a lot on the podcast, but cliches, I think, are the death of thinking. I think when we when we repeat cliches, we just we just stop thinking, and that's one of the my least favorite cliches. Mm -hmm. um, and and as my then professor at UC Irvine pointed out back in I don't know, it was ninety nine or two thousand. The art never speaks for itself. It can't. It's always contextualized. There's yeah. always something or someone yeah. introducing it to you. It's always exists in some place that already has a story that is developed around it. it, it it's not, it's never just like, you never come to art tabula rasa. So it's just, 
I, I love I love you, what you said, Travis, because I won't, because it, it's another hour in my quiver. <clears throat> you didn't say quality. You said aesthetic potency, and I like yes. that. And and I think that can exist by uh, alongside the notion of genius. What I would add to that, and I may have said this on the podcast uh, conversation with Deborah, is relevancy. We need to ha always have a conversation about relevancy. And actually, that's one of the main reasons for me to support Latin art, because that aesthetic production is super relevant to the world I want to live in. I want to live in a world with, with Latin folks adding to the conversation. Yeah. Mm. Uh, what is, Stephen, what are you about to say something? So I hear that stuff because I feel like so it goes kind of a little back about, back on what I'm saying about people at the table. I would want to know what was relevant to that community in terms of that conversation. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. being someone outside that community, I'm not sure what's relevant for them to them. Mm -hmm. I, I, mean, I can guess. I can hazard a guess that hope the human project, those things, but maybe specific things. They're just not about the border or about um, the Latin vote will change everything. There are more other things that they might be considering, particularly when it comes to their art. That's all I was saying. I don't think we're saying things, but I'm just thinking about the perspective. Yeah, and I think that that's a good perspective. Mine is really somewhat selfish. Like, I'm talking about what's relevant to me, really. Um, I mean, I, I, I think it intersects with what's relevant, perhaps, with the community. Because, I mean, I mean think, like, well, just off the top of my head, Issues around housing, gentrification, um, um, political representation. I think those things are relevant to, I would imagine they would be relevant to folks in the New York Latin communities, and they're relevant to me. So I imagine yeah. there's some overlap. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I also think, you know, it's, it's always ultimately a fool's goal, right? I mean... Of course, we're not going to capture all the things that are relevant about humans, let, I mean, about a culture, let alone humans, in right. a particular time and place. And we're going to miss more than we capture, and we're going to miss more uh, things that are vital and important than we are able to represent, for sure. Um, I don't know if we and, need to why. I'm sorry. I, I apologize, I don't know if we ever need to go that wide. I think it's in the reach. I think it's the gesture. That's the point. I don't think it's the the whole capturing the whole human project or the means. I think it's always in the gesture of trying to, in the words that I've been taking, like diversify <laughs> these to just have a, a project that feels more engaging and more robust. I read something recently where this woman was like, "I wasn't looking for." Oh, it was about Gina Davis. Gina Davis has this. I think it's like two decades old research data project where she's looking at women in film and TV shows. Mm -hmm. So instead of it's a Me Too project or a Time's Up project, it's it's that here here's mm -hmm. the this is how many women led studios. This is how many women were actually in uh, leading roles or you know. And what did they do if they were a CEO? Did she have to mm -hmm. take clothes and was it in slow motion? It's a piece in the Times. I think mm -hmm. it's and and so. Somebody commented on commented that 
when she writes stories, she writes them with characters who are developed and interesting, which is less about a diversity project than it is about, don't you just want a project to be good? And I was mm-hmm. like, that's a bit, that's a bit tricky though, right? Because mm-hmm. somebody's good project around a black gay man may be, girl, you need to, your soul is, mm-hmm. you know, versus right. <laughs> um, right. them talking to somebody, you know, a more, I don't know, more, uh, less reliable. You said it earlier, Trap, uh, Seth, about um, not stereotypes, but cliches. Cliches can tell you where meaning is, but as long as you, if you don't land there, that's the problem. People land on it and stay there. They don't move to something else to see where mm. it might lead you to that human project, right? Mm. Anyway, um, I guess a bit off. Yeah, that. no, the, I, so I think um, maybe we're disagreeing, maybe we're not disagreeing, I'm not sure. So I, I guess what I'm saying is that it's always a failure, but it's a good thing to fail at. So there's, there is never a shortage of, um, of varieties of cultural and existential representations that would be worthwhile to pay attention to. Right. So like, you know, you're, you're, you can survey a particular portion of the sky. You can survey a particular portion of the environment around you. Mm-hmm. But the environment that exceeds what you see and survey is just orders of magnitude beyond Best. what you can capture. Right. Yeah, and, and it's and, and it that's the constructed part. It's not that it's not that value. So I, I would I would not not want to go this part. It's not that value is fully constructed. I actually don't believe that. I do believe that things are potent for a reason, and I do believe that things can find us. Right. That that other people's projects in the world, other people's uh, encounters with their own lives and the lives of those around them can actually find us, can actually make me, Travis, oh, yeah. uh, see things in a, in, a, in a more interesting way if, if I can be open to them. Mm-hmm. And so I, and the constructed part is what we decide as a culture or a society or a historical moment to pay attention to. That's the made up part. That's the, that there are somehow, that there are somehow parameters around this, that there are somehow guardrails. There are no guardrails. The guardrails are whatever we put up that day for what we have the bandwidth for or what our culture is going to put money into or what our society is going to put money into. But there aren't actual real guardrails. There's, there's so much more that we could be exposed to that, that we, you know, that we kind of filter out. I don't know. Maybe I saw you nodding, Steve. So maybe we're in agreement on that. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yes, we're in agreement. When you frame, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's just more space in the room when we think about construction. You know, what people are paying attention to is, I mean, it may, may be bullshit, right? But it, it says something about our culture. It says something, but it doesn't mean it has to be that. For sure. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Same page, I guess. So I want to know where we go next. I mean, I'm thinking that <clears throat> so far this year we've talked about um, white sight and talked about the politics of uh, public statuary. And then we've talked about um, basically a woman who's dedicated her life to uh, supporting and... Um, promoting 
um, and thinking quite deeply about Latin representation um, in the arts. And where do we go from here? We talked about voguing. We talked about voguing. And, oh, yeah, that's right. The, the, with Sydney. The, the, Sydney, that's yeah. right. We talked about, yeah. And the transgender, and some aspects of the transgender movement. Uh, yeah. So I, the the next step is I, this is on me, and I actually I will reach out to her today. I've uh, I've, I've been kind of swamped with some other things, which you guys know about. Um, but I, I'm uh, uh, reaching out to Monisha Vasa, who is uh, Doctor Monisha Vasa. She's a practicing psychiatrist. Um, she's written a children's book, um, and she really she kind of focuses on um, sort of. Uh, uh, like being present and, and the idea of kind of uh, uh, sort of authentically engaging with those around you in a loving and compassionate way. Um, and not in a, this is not, this would not be in a political realm, right? This is not her preoccupation. I'm sure clearly she has political opinions, but this would not be, this would not be the intent of the conversation. Um, and I think we all are super aware that there is a deep mental health crisis in the country right now. Uh, I mean, at all levels of society. Um, and I think it would be a worthwhile conversation to talk to someone who's literally helping people every day deal with those things and literally, you know, and preoccupied with mindfulness is the, is the word I was actually reaching for. She's very, she's done a lot of work in the mindfulness community. Um, and I have mixed feelings about that, right? I think, you know, mindfulness is great at a certain economic strata <laughs> and then right. super right. difficult to actualize in, in other instances. So or maybe, or maybe um, even unimportant in other instances. Well, maybe not unimportant. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe no, no, not. no. But, but well, no, but I mean, but maybe not in the top three to 10 things right. that you that are you going to prioritize. Right. Yeah. 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 Essentially. Yeah. So, and and I think and I think Monisha will be a great conversation because I think or Dr. Boss I should say because this her this is something she herself is is concerned with like this idea mm -hmm. like you know there are limitations to what what this practice can can do for uh, for people so um, or maybe needs to be inflected differently you know um, um, yeah you know I it was I was just thinking about like you know I, I've had different you know I. I've been at different places in my life um, economically, and you know, and I've I've had that moment when I was younger where my electricity was going to be shut off if I didn't go stand in line to pay the electric bill at the at the at the Southern California Edison, and like it's a very different experience than what most people that I associate with now have to deal with as far as like. You know, you're you're in a very long line with very overworked people and very harried, and usually, you know, you're talking about families. There's two or three people there. There's like an elderly, you know, mom that's sitting in a chair. That's way. I mean, like it is just a totally different experience. Um, what does it mean to be mindful in that experience? Like, isn't it only mind at that moment? Like, can you do nothing else but like be present in this like giant line? for two hours when you've got to get, I mean, anyway, so it's, uh, I'm looking, I think I'm looking forward to that conversation. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Just to put a slightly finer point on that. I have said this before from my experience of being in court and I've only been in court a couple mm. of times. It's very similar to my experience of being at the DMV 
Uh, and, mm-hmm. a lot, and a lot of the stuff I can do now uh, that I need to do with regard to the DMV, I can do now online. So I have few of these experiences. It's, it's, for me, it's a little harrowing. I have to admit, like, it's mm-hmm. a little, like, it's a little, it's a little, it's distressing to me because I see people in the court system and at the DMV that I do not interact with at any other point in my life ever. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I have yeah. nothing to do. And I'm not saying it like, um, you know, I'm, I'm only hanging out in places that serve, um, uh, and, like and caviar, <laughs> right? Like I'm yeah. not like yeah. clearly I'm, I'm wearing a, you know, I'm wearing a t-shirt that I got from, um, an art gallery in Toronto, but I mean, that's a very different life. And I just mm-hmm. have to say that, yeah, I don't, I, I do not like those experiences. Do not like them yeah. at all. Yeah. Not my favorite. Yeah. Um, Stephen, do you have anything you want to close this out with? Or? <laughs> I was like, they are my favorite experience. I love waiting in line for three hours. <laughs> Everyone's happy. We're getting to know each other. <laughs> it's a party. <laughs> Everyone. Um, so anyhow, no, I didn't have anything other than I agree with you both. There aren't experiences that I look forward to when you do them. I try to be with the person behind the counter who has to deal with everyone and be extra, yeah. be extra thoughtful. And then also get the fuck out of line if I don't have what I need. <laughs> so I just, <laughs> yeah. People's t- yeah. <laughs> right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I need to talk to the managers, managers, managers. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't have enough. You don't have what you need. Just go find it come back, you know, but <laughs> it's, it's difficult, I think. So I just try to be as friendly as possible. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. All right. So I will, uh, I'll, we'll speak to each other soon. Uh, and, uh, I hope you guys uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you. Thanks for the conversation. <laughs>